Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Paul Mumaw, and in case you don't know me, I'm the lead pastor uh, for Genesis Church. Uh, and if you're new to all of this, uh, we are one church in two locations. We not only have our campus here in Carmel, we also have a Noblesville campus. And um, I preach most Sundays over at our Noblesville campus. Uh, Steve Wallen is uh, your Carmel campus pastor, and he's typically here. Well, we're switching today, and uh, so he's over preaching in Noblesville. And I always look forward uh, to the opportunity to be here with you uh, in Carmel and just to see uh, some of the great things. I see many of you who love what's happening here, and I'm just so excited uh, about God's work through you and uh, through our Carmel campus. Uh, we are in the third week of a series here at Genesis, a, a series that we've called Making Room for Life, and we've been talking about how busy we are. Uh, that we are just, uh, as, as a culture, in society, in this area, we're busy people. And we move from one busy season uh, to the next busy season. And so summer was probably really busy. And now if you've got kids, they're back in school. And so that's a, a, a new busy season. We're just very busy people. And to illustrate this, one of the things that we've been doing the last couple of weeks is talking about how this glass jar, uh, in so many ways, represents our life, or your life, our lives, uh, in that uh, we're, our time is limited, you know, that for every single one of us, we only have so much capacity. Uh, There's only so much time. I mean, you get 24 hours a day, right? Uh, We get seven days a week, and that's not going to increase. And so you've only got so much time. You've only got so much space. And and what we've said is that the rice in this jar is kind of the minutes of our time. It's the minutes and hours of our week. It's the things that we do and that we must do. And it's uh, the time you spend at the grocery store and running errands and running kids here or there or time on your phone. It's the useful time, all right? I mean, there are a lot of useful things. There are some priorities that make up this time, uh, but there's a lot of wasteful things too. And so even with this wasteful thing, you could say it's a probably a lot of Twitter and Facebook and even more Twitter and Facebook. And so lots of Twitter and Facebook. But, but this rice uh, represents the time that when you get to the end of the week and you look back and you say things like, where did all the time go? It's this, all right? And so uh, we've got all that time. These orange objects kind of represent those priorities, and we've all got those priorities. You probably know your priorities, and for some of you, it's work, and for others, it's school, or uh, maybe you're doing work and school right now, or it's the relationships uh, in our lives, and so you've got your marriage, or you've got that person that you're dating right now, you've got your kids, uh, and then we've been talking, too, about, well, where does, where does your relationship with God fit into all of that, or if you do have any time left to, to serve or to get involved in a connection group. I mean, you maybe we just kind of try and fit that into the edge, but so often, I mean, isn't it true that for every single one of us, life is a lot like this? It's just kind of always overflowing. And you've got people to please, and you've got commitments and priorities and all these things going on. And so it, it just seems like every week and with every season, we only have so much time, and there's not enough time, and you're looking for more room, and, and well, we're not going to get it. And Uh, One of the things that Steve talked about a couple of weeks ago, we just opened this series with just asking the question of what would it look like for you to make sure that in the busyness and in all of the priorities and everything that's going on, that first and foremost, your relationship with God, it, 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 it comes first. Uh, and, and the difference it can make, and, and that if you're a Christian, that your relationship with God is the most important priority in your life, and if you're here and if you're not a Christian, you know that the most important relationship that you're missing uh, in your life is, is that relationship with God, and what God wants to do is he, he wants to be first in our lives. He wants to be at the very center so that all of the other priorities, all of the other things that we do and the ways that we use our time will, will come together and 
and find their appropriate place. Now, here's what I'll tell you. I I want you to know this, that if you make Jesus Christ the very center, if you make your relationship with God the very center of your life, I'm not going to promise you that you're going to magically find more time, all right, or that that, that God is just going to make everything work because you can't follow Jesus and expect everything to stay the same. Uh, You can't live your life completely sold out, absolutely sold out to God and expect that everything is going to remain the same. But what will happen is this, and I believe this, that as you make Jesus Christ the very center, the very first priority in your life, what he's going to do is he's going to give you that wisdom and he's going to give you that desire and he's going to give you that ability to manage your life and your time in such a way that life just sort of finds a way of working and working out right and according to his will uh, for our lives. And the person that we've been learning from in this series is Jesus. Uh, shocker, right? I mean, they were, we're looking at Jesus and we're talking about him, that he's not only our Lord and Savior, but he's also the best example uh, for how we should live our lives today. I mean, Jesus demonstrates for us what it means to love God and to have him at the very center and keep him as the very priority in your life. And last week we discover how Jesus made time for people and he loved people and how you and I, how we should do the same. And so today I want to talk to you about uh, making room in your life to be used by God. Uh, making room in your life uh, to be used by God, and what could happen uh, if every single one of us uh, made it, uh, took up our part and, and made it a priority to use our gifts to use our abilities and to use our passions and to use the moments of our days in order to make the world different. And if you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down, that today is all about making room in your life to live on mission for Jesus. Uh, It's about making room in your life to live on mission for Jesus Christ. Now, if you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to uh, the New Testament, uh, to the Gospels, uh, the first four books in the New Testament. Go uh, to the third book, the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 14. And we'll have the verses for you on the screen. Uh, uh, you'll find some Bibles around the room on the floor. You're welcome to take one of those uh, if you'd like. That's our gift to you. Uh, you can walk out if you're with that today. Uh, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you use something like version. Uh, in Luke chapter 14. Let's look at some verses together in Luke chapter Chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 25, and I just want you to see this one uh, account uh, of Jesus and a large group of people and a a message, a a teaching, a lesson that he has in mind for them specifically on making room in your life to live on mission uh, for Jesus. So let's pick it up in verse 25. Jesus, uh, or it starts out, Luke records that there were these large crowds traveling with Jesus. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Um, At this point in his ministry, more and more people are coming to see Jesus, and they came to see his miracles, uh, to experience uh, his compassion, and to hear his compelling teaching. And, And so Luke records that these large crowds keep coming, these huge crowds are coming, and most people are coming, and then they're not going home. All right, they're, they're just following Jesus from place to place. And so Jesus has this large crowd, and he's going to turn to them now and start teaching. And let's pick that up, uh, the second half of verse 25. It says, he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Huh? Like, I mean, if you've, never, if you've never heard anything like this before, I mean, when, well, you, you probably are thinking what a lot of people were thinking when they heard this. I mean, when, when, crowds, when the crowds heard that, when the people heard that, uh, most of the people started wondering, 
this, this is Jesus? Like, you know, this is, this is the guy that we've been hearing about, the peaceful guy, the guy of compassion and uh, this man of love. I mean, he talks all the time about loving people and, and loving others. I mean, it was the whole basis of the message last week. I mean, Jesus commands us to love others, and now he says we should hate people. And not just any people, but look who he's talking about hating. He talks about hating your dad. He talks about hating your mom or your dear, sweet grandma. I mean, how could anyone hate your dear, sweet grandma? And hating your spouse and children, brothers and sisters, hating myself. Now, I think if there were an appropriate title uh, to be given to this particular message given by Jesus, you could title it, How to Hate Your Mama, right? I mean, or something, something similar. I mean, you can insert your own word there. I mean, that's a message that's going to run off a crowd of people. I mean, today we just preach about money, you know, and people leave. I mean, you know, but, but then it was a different day. But what, what, what's Jesus saying? I mean, does Jesus really want me to hate my family? No, Jesus isn't suggesting that we become a hater, but instead, uh, Jesus is using a, a particular method of teaching that was very common in his day, and it was a method whereby he would say something, something shocking, like we've read here, as a way of getting people's attention and a way of making a greater point. Uh, let me give you another example of it. For, for example, one time Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 9, he says, And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter your life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, was Jesus really suggesting that anyone take out a butter knife you know, and gouge their eyeball out? No, he's not saying that. But he was saying this. He was saying, hey, let's not take sin lightly. I don't do that. He, he says, you know, including uh, what we choose to look at. Jesus was saying that all sin is serious and it's destructive and that God despises sin. I mean, it'd be similar uh, to saying something today like, you know, when maybe when you're really hungry or you get that craving and you might say something, you know, I would kill for a Twinkie right now, right? Okay, I, I hope anyone, you know, wouldn't go to that extreme for the sake of a Twinkie. Now, maybe a Choco Dial, all right, if you've ever had, I, I love the Choco Dial when I was a kid. I preferred the Choco Dial over the, uh, for the Twinkie. But, but I don't think we would go to that extreme. And so what's Jesus saying here? Well, he's using that same sort of exaggeration or method. I mean, he's talk, he, he talks about hating the most important people of your life in order to follow him. But what's that about? Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is just simply saying, hey, being on mission for me is a really big priority. It has to be a priority. And that means living on mission for Jesus isn't just something we do on Sundays. It's you know, it's not some good deeds we do once in a while so that we don't feel guilty. I mean, Jesus is saying that I want following me to be of such importance to you that it would almost seem that nothing else in your life would even come close in comparison. And I pray that you would hear those words today and even hear them from your own life very personally that Jesus may be even saying to you, I want following me to be of such importance to you that it would almost seem that nothing else in your life would even come close in comparison. I mean, that's the type of commitment he's looking for in his people then and even today. And he's not just talking to pastors and missionaries or for those of you that would maybe say that you've got a little extra time in your schedule right now. I mean, Jesus is talking to each of us. I mean, he's talking to moms and dads. He's, he's talking to married people and single people and divorced people and separated people. He's talking to those that work in an office and those that work outside. He's talking to blue-collar workers and executives. He's talking to you as a college student. He's talking to you as a high school student and a middle school student that if you call yourself a Christian, Jesus is talking directly to you, and he's talking to me. Here's another example of that extreme language, uh, picking back up in that same message in verse 27. 
Jesus goes on to say, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, is Jesus saying that we have to be crucified for our faith for it to really matter? No, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that being on mission for him is going to require us to make some difficult sacrifices in our lives, sacrifices that we would not otherwise have to make. Uh, John Oros uh, was a leader uh, in the church in Romania, the Christian church in Romania during the communist era. And for those of you that don't know, uh, Romania was a part of the Soviet Union uh, until its collapse in 1989. Well, during that time, uh, Romania was ruled by a very oppressive uh, communist regime uh, government and a government that was strictly anti-religion. And so Oros Uh, described the difficulties of the church during that period and of Christians uh, during that period and some of what the Christians and the church experienced uh, in that particular time in history. And uh, he was quoted as saying, he said, you know, during communism, many of us preached and people came at the end of the service and they said, hey, I've decided to become a Christian. And we always told them, "It, it is good that you want to become a Christian But we would like to remind you that there is a price to be paid, that even as you're making this decision in your life today, you need to know that many things can and probably will happen to you because of your faith. You can lose, and you can lose big. And from there, Oros went on to describe how a high percentage of people uh, made a decision to take part in a three-month class that they would offer as a church, kind of in hiding and kind of in secret, but a class um, prepared and offered as a way of helping them better understand the decision they were making to follow Jesus. And John Oros goes on to say that at the end of this period, at the end of this time, this three-month class, many participants declared their desire to be baptized, and typically I would respond to them, it's really nice that you want to become a Christian, but when you give your testimony... You need to know that there will be informers there who will jot down your name. Tomorrow the problems will start. I just want you to make sure that you count the cost. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your neighbors. You can lose your kids. You can even lose your own life. Now, was it that John Oros was so opposed to people coming to Christ that, that he tried to force them from making that decision. No, that's not the case. He just knew the cost. He knew the cost of following Jesus, and he wanted to be sure that these Christians understood what they were up against, and at the same time, he wanted to make sure that these people, these men and women and students, realized that, that, that uh, to get them to the place where following Jesus was of such importance to them that if they lost everything, they would still realize that it's worth it. It's worth it to lose everything and follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in Luke. That's what he's trying to get at with these people. And so he says to them, you must give up everything. You got to be prepared to give up everything. You must carry your cross and follow me. And then he goes on to say, just another example of this extreme language. Pick it up in verse 28. He says, suppose one, one of you uh, wants to build a tower. Uh, Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now again, just more strong language from Jesus. And uh, this was an illustration that would have been very familiar to the people of day because back then a person's reputation, especially publicly, was absolutely priceless. And one of the worst things that could happen to someone was for them to publicly humiliate themselves by not being able to finish 
finish a project, maybe even something like construction project, something that they had started. And so Jesus was basically saying, don't take this matter lightly. I don't, don't, don't take this commitment lightly. Following me will cost you something. It's not a pain-free ride. It's not a trouble-free ride. And so count the cost before you say yes. See, here's the thing. When it comes to following Jesus, um, we in the Western church at times have been very guilty of setting the bar very low. And, and I've been guilty of this too. I mean, we, we've been guilty. We've been content to say a prayer or We've been guilty to limit our uh, Christian experience to attending church on Sundays, and maybe nothing really changes in our lives. But Jesus is calling us to so much more. I mean, it's why he said in John 10.10, 10, he says, I have come life to give you life. I have come to give you the life to the, to the fullest. And, and that means that's a reminder that he's got a part for you to play. I mean, he's got a part for you in this world, and he's got a part for me to play as we live on mission for him. And, and he reminds us that there will be a cost, but because you and I, we just have to be reminded, we have to know that you can't follow Jesus and expect everything to stay the same. Things have to change. And that means that following Jesus is going to impact your schedule. Uh, it's going to change your priorities. It, it's going to change how you view uh, those things that belong to you. It should affect your resources and, and your home. And again, the way that you spend your time and the way that you look at other people. His grace is free. Absolutely, don't miss this. But you still have to count the cost of what it means to follow him. So he goes on, verse 31, one more example. He says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Jesus, again, he just gives another example that would have been familiar to the people. He says, hey, wouldn't a wise king, when he realizes that he's outnumbered, think seriously about his actions to really contemplate, okay, do we seek peace or do we go into battle? I mean, to rush to battle without first considering, you know, the options could potentially bring disaster on his nation. And so far better off, Jesus says, to think it through beforehand. And again, just another Another warning from Jesus to carefully think through this decision and what it means. And just in case all of these strong words and examples haven't made a point, Jesus tops it off in verse 33 by saying, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. That key word being everything. I mean, Jesus is setting the bar of what it means to be my follower. You know, what it means to come after me and to surrender your life to me. And, you know, it, no, it, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to sell all that you have or that you have to give away all of your money. Jesus is not saying that, but he is saying, don't follow me if you're not at least willing to go to that extreme if I ask you to. Now, why the tough language? All right? I mean, why, why all the talk about hating your father and mother and carrying your cross and giving away all that you have? See, here's the thing. Jesus didn't come into the world just so that people could die and maybe go to heaven and maybe become nicer, better people along the way. Jesus came to change the world. He came to flip this world upside down. 
to put things back, to get things back to the way that they were intended to be. I mean, he came into the world to return the world to the way it was supposed to be and to reach people who are far from God. And that means he came to restore relationships and to heal wounds and to heal the poor and to set the prisoners free. And so Jesus is using the most in-your-face language that he possibly could to say, I'm calling you to join with me in changing this world. And that's not going to happen. If you just so happen to find a little bit of time in the, 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 the edges of your life for me, Jesus is following me, means all of you. It means being on mission with me, and it's going to require you bringing all that you have and all that you are and surrendering everything you are for the glory of my Father in heaven. And he says, it won't be easy, but he says, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. You bring all that you have and all that you are for me. And Jesus says, and he says here in other places in Scripture, you won't regret it. You won't regret giving all that you have for me. Uh, If you've been around here for a while and uh, you've uh, gotten to know uh, Steve Wall and, again, the Carmel Campus pastor at all, you've probably kind of discovered that Steve's a bit of a runner. And uh, I I do some running, too. Uh, I will just be real honest to say Steve and I run together. We've run some races together that I'm not quite as strong of a runner as he is. He's a little more psycho than I am about it. He spends more time running. I spend more time praying. Um, But uh, so anyway, again, we do some running together. And when we go out and just kind of train a little bit or go out for a run, I mean, we run about the same pace. But on race day, he always kicks it up to another level. And uh, so uh, back in July, we were running the uh, Carmel. Uh, 4th of July run. It's a four and a half mile run. And uh, my wife uh, went with me. My wife, Jenny, is a runner. She ran in college and uh, she still runs today. She's not quite as strong, not quite as competitive as she was in college. She, she doesn't train as hard as she used to. And she's had three kids too, but uh, she still does some running. And so we hadn't run a race together, <coughs> excuse me, in quite some time, but she decided, hey, I'll, I'll go out and run that race with you too. And so uh, we got to the, the course that morning, and, and Steve was there. And so I, I knew, okay, I'm going out with Steve, and, and I want to go hard with Steve, but I also know, okay, my, my wife's here, so should I run with my wife? I don't really know what the right thing to do is. And so she got at it first, and she said, hey, I know you want to run hard today. It's okay. You go run with Steve. You know, I'm fine, and I'll see you at the end. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, if, if you say so. I mean, and so uh, I made my way to the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, front of the starting line with Steve and, uh, you know, ready to go. And I had been training hard and was really going to go after a, a PR for the day. And so the race started, and, man, Steve, like he always does, just went out hard. And he went out really hard, and I was with him for about the first half mile, and I just kind of decided, okay, I, I'm not going to blow myself up trying to keep up with this guy. So so he took off, and, and again, it was a four-and-a-half-mile run, and you know, one mile in, two miles in. I got to about the three-mile mark, and I was coming up this hill, and I was like, hey, there's Steve Wallen up in front of me, like, like I'm catching him. And he, he had really kind of pulled back a little bit, and, and sure enough, I, I kind of went on by him, and he was like, hey, what's up, jerk? And, uh, and, and just kind of went on by him. No, I didn't say that, but uh, you know, he obviously wasn't feeling as good, but I was feeling really good, and, and I came down kind of the long straightaway of this run, and then you turn the corner, and it's an uphill, uh, about a quarter-mile finish. And again, I'm looking at my time thinking, hey, I'm, I'm going to hit my PR today. I'm feeling really good about this. And then all of a sudden, I hear this breathing behind me, a breathing that I, I just I could recognize. It just kind of sounded familiar. And I glanced over my shoulder, 
And it was my wife. Uh, it was my wife behind me, and I beat her. I, I, I gave it all that I had, and what? You, you wouldn't beat your wife, too, if you had a chance? Uh, I, I beat her. I beat her by three seconds, and, uh, you know, I had worked really hard, and, you know, here I am. I have my PR for the day, and my wife just comes out for a leisurely run, and I beat her by a whole three seconds. But uh, I don't know if she was more excited to finish three seconds behind me or that she beat Steve Wallen, uh, too. But uh, I gave it everything that I have today. And if you've ever done anything like that before, if you do sports or, you know, have given yourself to something you really love, you know what it means to give all that you have or to give 110%. And that's what Jesus wants from us too. And not as a way of proving ourselves to him, right? We're not trying to prove ourselves for the sake of his love, but we give all that we have because of his love because of his unending love for us. And so he is looking for people. He's looking for people like you and me that will say, okay, I'm all in, Jesus. You can have everything that I am. And, and that means that he's not satisfied with anything less from us. He, he's, not, he's not satisfied with my 25% or your 75%. Um, he, he wants all that we are. And that's what he's saying here to these people. And so do you know what happened next? I'm guessing a lot of people walked away. I mean, this hate your mama message kind of ran people off, and the people considered the cost, and, and, and many of the men and many of the women, they walked away, but, but some remained. In fact, we know that a small group of men and women, uh, men and women who were both intrigued and curious, they just kept following, and they kept watching, and they kept listening, and they kept practicing, and not too long after Jesus, Jesus said these things, he went to the cross, and he modeled that love and that commitment for them. And he went to the cross and he gave his life and he defeated sin and death. And he provided a way to forgiveness and redemption and a way for you and I to have a relationship with God. And three days after he died, he rose from the dead. And many of these same men, that fact. And 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. And not too long after that, he sent his Holy Spirit. He sent his presence to live in the hearts and the lives of his followers. And from there, in these men and women, this living on mission really got going, all right? It really motivated them and moved them. And, and these disciples, these men and women, they couldn't keep it. In, and so they met together and they prayed together and they worshiped together and they told their stories about what Jesus had done for them and about salvation. And they talked about forgiveness with their friends and neighbors and the people around them. And when rough times hit, they just kept turning to God. They just kept looking to him. And so many of them over time and over history picked up and they moved out of Jerusalem and they moved into other parts of the world. And as they went, they just kept sharing and they just kept talking and they kept sharing their lives and loving people and telling a people about Jesus. And many of them, many of these men and women, they lost their lives for the mission of Jesus, but because they lived on mission and others who have followed them since we're here today. We're here worshiping today. We're here today because those who have gone before us were willing to make room in their life to live on mission for Jesus. And how were they able to do it? They allowed the power and the presence of the Spirit of God to work in their life. They allowed the, the power and the truth of the gospel to take hold of their life and to set them free. And they were never again the same. They were never again the same. Friends, Genesis Church, you and I are called to live on mission for Jesus Christ, 
to bring everything we are and to come and to proclaim the message of Jesus. And, and, and I believe that just as the case for these men and women here too, that your ability and my ability to live on mission for Jesus, that it flows from our understanding of what God has done and accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, that I was once far from God, all right? But now I am finding my way back because of Jesus Christ, because he forgave my sins and his presence is in me and in many of you. And I know, and you should know, that we will never again be the same people. You know, you may notice that uh, we tend to use the words follower of Jesus around here more than we even use the word Christian, and, and not because I believe that there's anything wrong with the word Christian, but the main reason I prefer follower of Jesus is I believe that it better explains what we're called to do, that we're not just simply called to identify ourselves with Jesus, but to follow him and to go where he would go and to do those things that he would do. So here's what I want to do. Uh, before we close, just quickly, I, I want to give you some examples of what it means, just kind of a, even a broader picture of what it means to follow Jesus, that if you call yourself a Christian, uh, what does it mean for you and me to follow him uh, with our lives and in everything we do? You know, the, the, the beauty of his invitation to follow um, is that it's for everyone. Uh, Living on mission for Jesus means everyone. That means that if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ uh, and you trust him as the Lord of your life, if you call yourself as a Christian, he has invited you to come follow him. And again, the beauty of that invitation is that everyone means everyone. It means that anyone can come. Anyone can come. He invites everyone to come. And that doesn't mean, uh, it doesn't matter uh, who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. Jesus has invited you into his mission of making things right in this world again. It's kind of like the young family uh, that's been attending our Noblesville campus. And uh, they've been coming to our Noblesville campus for the past couple of years. And I know a little bit of their story. And I'll just tell you that they've had some tough times. Uh, They've had some really rough times uh, in their life uh, and in their marriage too. Uh, And they've had some troubles in their past. And he's even spent some time in prison. Uh, But a few years ago, they found Genesis. And more importantly, they found Jesus. And uh, they are allowing Christ to work in their lives. And now they're not only attending church, but they're making an effort to live on mission for Jesus. And they're doing it for the sake of their kids. And they're doing it uh, for the sake of their extended family and their friends. Their love... Their love for Jesus is impacting how they live their lives today. His invitation is for everyone. Anyone can come. Uh, His invitation is for you. You know, if you're a man, if you're a woman, uh, if you are single, if you're married, if you're a student, uh, if you've been around this all of your life or you're just coming, if you're just experiencing something like church or even this church for the very first time, his invitation to follow is for everyone. It's for you. He invites you to come. Living on mission for Jesus means everything. He wants everything from us. Uh, Jesus wants everything that we are. He wants everything you are, and he wants everything that you have committed to him. He wants to use your gifts and talents and abilities uh, to further his mission and this work and this world. And it's part of the reason uh, why we've been challenging everyone here at Genesis, every person who attends Genesis, uh, to serve at least two hours a month uh, on one of our ministry teams. Uh, We've been calling it Plus Two, and and I'm so thankful uh, for all of you that give your time because we couldn't do what we're doing without you, uh, without people, but for those of you that are already serving and already give your time, uh, we can't thank you enough for what you've helped us to accomplish. Um, But we've got work to do. 
Uh, there's still a lot of work before us. And uh, if you attend Genesis and still have not made a commitment to serve on one of the teams here yet, you need to know that you're missing out and uh, that you're holding this church back from its full potential. And so we want to invite you to jump in uh, and to make room in your life to serve and to find a place to serve uh, so that you can be a part of some of the great things that are happening uh, through this church. And uh, Steve challenged you last week, and uh, Robin and others have been challenging too. Uh, and uh, for those of you that responded, we want to thank you for responding. We just saw some of those names uh, and faces just a moment ago. In fact, uh, I had the privilege of hearing one story of one family this past week that made a decision to make room in their life to serve, and uh, they understand that, that living on mission uh, for Jesus means everything, and so before they left the building last week, they basically did a U-turn and came back, and they made a commitment uh, to serve together as a family. And so if you haven't done that yet, uh, can I challenge you? Uh, to step up and to join in with what's happening? Uh, Will you join in and accept this call to mission and and to serving uh, seriously? And uh, we'll have representatives out in the lobby even after the service today, and they would love to talk to you about joining one of our teams and the difference uh, that you can make in someone else's life. Now, is this, is Genesis Church the only place you can serve? No, there are plenty of opportunities to serve, and you can serve it with Habitat for Humanity. You can serve at a place like Wheeler Mission or Shepherd Community. Uh, You can serve in your kid's school. You can serve on your street. Uh, You can live on mission where you work or, uh, you know, in the apartment building that you're currently living in. It all counts, and uh, these are important too, but Jesus wants you to be passionate about your church as well. And it takes every single one of us. And I just believe, we just believe that serving on mission with your church is one great way to live on mission for Jesus with everything that you are. Let me tell you about another way. He wants to use everything that you are and everything that I am. Jesus wants to use your financial resources uh, to further expand the mission and the ministry of a place like Genesis Church. Um, Let me give you an example. A few weeks back, our church hosted a camp uh, with Spring Hill in partnership with Spring Hill uh, at our Noblesville campus. And I know that many of you served with that. I know that some of you sent your kids uh, to participate in that camp. We had over 100 kids that attended that camp. And there were kids from this Carmel campus and from our Noblesville campus. Uh, There were friends and other kids from the community that don't currently have a church. And it was a huge hit. Uh, We had a great time, and if you served or if you participated, you know that it was a great time. If your kid was involved, you know that your kids had all sorts of fun. And I'm so excited uh, because of not only the good time uh, that was a big part of it, because that counts, but I've also loved hearing the stories of kids whose lives have been changed forever because of that one week at camp. Uh, For example, my wife uh, received a text uh, from one friend that next week, another parent, right after the camp ended, and it said, thanks to the ministry of Genesis and this great camp, our son invited Jesus into his life. She said, we love this church. Um, We had a a friend uh, that we took with us to Spring Hill Camp. He went with my son, Luke, and they're in the same class together, and he doesn't currently attend uh, any church. And at the end of the week, he made the comment to my wife. He said, man, I love Spring Hill. I learned so much about God, and I learned so much about the Bible. Uh, Another young boy uh, sent a letter uh, to our staff thanking our church for hosting the camp and uh, for the financial resources that made it possible. This is from a... uh, uh, well, a fifth-grade-year-old boy, listen, listen to this note he sent us. He said, Dear Genesis Church, thank you so much for helping us pay for Spring Hill Day Camp. It was literally the best week of my life. I got to hang out with kids my age and accepted Jesus into my heart. 
which is the best decision I've ever made. I also had an amazing time doing all of the activities there too. Thank you for all of these opportunities, uh, this fifth grade boy. And these lives have been impacted and have been changed forever. And I just wanted to remind you today that your generous giving makes these things possible. Uh, make things like the Spring Hill Camp possible. And uh, when, uh, when you give all that you have, when you make a commitment to give everything that you are and to live on mission for Jesus, and you allow that mission and that work to expand over into your finances and your generosity, what you're doing is not only opening your life to greater trust and greater faith in God and recognizing that it all comes from Him, but again, you're helping to expand the mission and the ministry of God's work here on this earth and through Genesis Church for things like Spring Hill Day Camp and the things that we do here every week and the opportunity to launch something like a Carmel Campus and the opportunity that we're praying about to launch a third campus. Your giving, your commitment to say, Jesus, you can have everything that I am makes these things possible. And so living on mission for Jesus means everyone. Everyone is invited. It means bringing everything that I am and providing it and offering it all to him. And finally, living on mission for Jesus means everywhere. It means everywhere you go, Uh, whether you're at home, at work, at school, uh, if you're alone, uh, when you're with friends, uh, with your team, Uh, When you're away at college, Jesus wants with everywhere we are and everywhere we're going to be and to live on mission for him. And that just means that people coming into your life are not there by accident, but there as God ordains. Let me me tell you a story of how God... uh, showed me this in my life Uh, just this past week. I uh, had an opportunity to travel to Chicago earlier in the week. Uh, for a a meeting with a group of pastors, and man, it's expensive to go to Chicago, like especially if you got to go downtown, and if you have to park downtown, I mean, it was supposed to be like $60 a night to park in downtown Chicago, so I took the Megabus, all right? Anybody ever taken the Megabus before, all right? A few people, my first time taking the Megabus, and I looked at it as an opportunity to do some work, you know, low-stress, cheaper to, to take the mega bus in and to walk to my motel. And, and as I got on the bus in Indianapolis on Tuesday, um, I sat down in my seat and I just, I, I prayed a prayer before I started. And I said, you know, God, thank you for this trip. And, and I pray that you'd watch over us as we go today because it's a double-decker bus. And if that thing falls over, I mean, but, but so I prayed that prayer. But I also said, Lord, would you provide me, and, and in preparing for this message, would you provide me an opportunity to share my faith with somebody over the course of this trip? And, um, uh, this guy came and sat down in the seat in front of me just not too long after that prayer, and he didn't like me. And I could tell that he didn't like me, and he didn't really look like he liked anybody, and he reclined his seat into my lap. And uh, now, you know, if you travel on a plane or something, you know, if the person in front of you reclines, it's like, ah, you kind of sigh a little bit, but you get over it. You've still got your space. There was something wrong with the seat. And I bumped it one time, and he turned around and gave me the dirtiest look, and I promised that I would never touch a seat ever again. And so this wasn't the guy 
that Jesus had in mind for me. I had to turn into the aisle and work on my computer all the way to Chicago, but I got over it. Well, anyways, on the return trip on Wednesday, I got to the bus early because I wanted to be able to choose my seat. And so I chose one with there was a rail in front of me. I didn't want anybody reclining into me on this seat. And I sat down and I had in mind to put in my earbuds and to listen to some music, do some work, work on my message. And as the bus, just before the bus was getting ready to leave, I thought, man, I got this seat all to myself. This guy slips in and it's like, oh, he wants my seat. So he sat down next to me and we started talking. And we talked for a really long time. In fact, we talked all the way back to Indianapolis. And uh, I met a guy, uh, 32 years of age. His name is Assad. And Assad was born in Iran. And in 2010, he moved to the United States with his wife to go to graduate school. He's now a postdoctorate student in ophthalmology, travels to Cincinnati all the time. And he's Muslim. And we started talking, and we just started in conversation, and I could quickly tell that he was, a, he was just a very friendly guy, and so he started asking me questions about me and my family. I started asking him questions about him and his family and, and Iran, and, and he's traveling to Iran today, believe it or not, for the first time in five years, and he was just kind of explaining to me all the, you know, just the horrible things that are going on in Iran, and just very disappointed in, in how you know, the extreme events are so often perceived in the news and all the things that get missed and whatever. And we talked, and before long, our conversation started to transition more into faith. And he finally asked me, he said, can I ask you a question? He says, uh, why are you a pastor? And uh, man, that's one of those opportunity sort of questions. Like, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to offend him and what are going to be the right ways to say these things. But it's like, oh yeah, I prayed for this. And uh, so I just started talking and telling him about my life, and telling him about my faith, and telling him the way that I view Jesus, and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And then I said, well, can I ask you a question? Sure. And I said, well, how, how do you view Jesus and your faith? Because I know that Jesus is a part of the Muslim faith. They just have a different view of him as, a, as just simply a prophet. And so he started talking through that, and uh, there were times in our conversation where I don't know if he could tell, but my eyes were full of tears, And they were full of tears because I was so overwhelmed with joy at knowing that Jesus was right there in the middle of all of it. And as this young man spoke, and and I could tell that he is very open and just has lots of questions of his own faith and of other faiths, that God is already working the soil of his heart. And all I had on this particular bus ride was to spend one, you know, few hour trip with him just talking about Jesus and what he's doing for me, and just planting seeds, and living, leaving it all up to him. I had a big sub sandwich in my bag that I really wanted to eat. It was one of the potbelly sandwiches from Chicago, but I felt bad. I'm like, I don't know if he has any food, and we've been talking all this way. I took out my sandwich, and I said to him, I said, hey, Asad, would, would you like half of my sandwich? And he was a little taken back by it, but sure enough, I broke that sandwich, and we shared it. He pulled two pieces of fruit out of his bag. He said, hey, all I've got are these tangerines. Would you like one of them? We sat there in our seats and shared a meal together. And again, kept talking about our faith. We got back to Indianapolis. He said, hey, let's, uh, let's exchange emails. Maybe we'll talk some point again in the future. And I said, well, let me ask you this. I'm going to sound like a middle school girl in asking this, but can I take a picture of us? Can I take a selfie? So I've got a picture here uh, of me and my new friend, Assad. And uh, I just said to him, I said, I want to remember this conversation for a really long time. And uh, I was able to share it with him over an email the other day, and we've exchanged some emails since. And, and all it said, here's the conclusion of it, I didn't lead him to Christ. I had an opportunity to tell him about what Jesus is doing in my life. And I can't tell you 
just the overwhelming sense of joy there was in that moment to know that Jesus was right there with us and he's working the soil in that man's life just as he's working that soil in my life too. Hey, here's my challenge to you. Don't miss opportunities. You've got people all around you right now and situations and places where you go. And the Lord, our Savior, he's put the Spirit, he's put his presence in you and he's just invited you to live on mission, to live on with intentionality in everything that you do. And that doesn't mean you have to have all of the right answers, because I don't. But you can talk about what Jesus is doing in you. And you know what? I think that's our best motivation for living on mission for Jesus, is when we just keep reflecting on what the cross means for me and how it's changing my life. And I leave all of that work of changing other people's lives up to him, because he's better at it. He's got a lot more opportunity to do that than I do. Will you live on mission for him? Will you make that commitment in your life today? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, um, I pray that you would give us the desire to live on mission for you, to live purposely for you in everything that we do. And I thank you for how you reminded me of that this past week and all of the people that are continuously around me and just over and over again, the opportunity that I have to share my life and to share, more importantly, my faith with you, with others. I thank you for my friend, Assad. Uh, God, I believe you're working in his life, Lord, and I pray that you'd open it up to see Jesus, that Jesus would come in, and that he would never again be the same. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we have an opportunity as one church here this morning uh, to reflect and to remember uh, the sacrifice of Jesus, the gift of God to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so in just a moment, we're going to invite you to get up from your seats and you can come to one of these tables up front. We've got two of them. There are a couple of, in the, of them in the back. Uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to share communion with us today as you remember and you take the bread, as you remember and you take the juice, and as you focus and you think about what that means for you, I want you to ask the question, Okay, what does it mean now as I walk out of here and live for him? Cameron's going to play. We invite you now to get up from your seats. When you're ready to take communion, go ahead and take communion, and then we'll finish out our service worshiping together. Let's do that now.